Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and Lord confess to you that we need you this morning. Every hour we need you. Uh, Lord, we need you right now to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We need an understanding heart. Lord, we need your word to open our ability to understand and minister and, and uh, Lord, work your word into the lives of people. And, and so, Lord, these are things that you and you alone can do. And so, Father, uh, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to, uh, help us to get full of faith that what your word says is to be a reality in the life of your people. Uh, Father, I ask that you would uh, give me the ability to communicate, uh, set my uh, weakness and flesh and stumbling mouth aside and and Lord, let your word be magnified. Lord, we're asking for the aid of the Spirit to get understanding into our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, we need you now. And uh, thank you, Lord, for, for helping us. Lord, thank you for instructing us. Thank you for directing us. Uh, thank you for enabling us and putting us in this ministry. Lord, this is something that only you could do. And we're grateful. Uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are looking at the seven marks of a disciple. Um, just a quick little, just brief review, uh, just some of the ministry principles that work with this. I don't teach this material at our church. It is a product of our church leadership over the years as we have endeavored to, to try to get prospective disciples to really take a, take a sober look at what it means to be a disciple. Uh, in the beginning, I taught this material, and then it was turned over to Pastor Morgan, and then it was turned over to some of the other leadership, and now we're in third and fourth generation leadership, investing this material in the lives of prospective disciples. And so, um, you know, the, the, the ministry principle works like, you know, it goes like this. We use the ministry to build men. We don't use men to build the ministry. And a lot of times, you know, we can be in a place where our ministry is hurting or our ministry has lack or there's holes and, and uh, maybe we need somebody to come in to help us in these areas. But the, the goal is always to say what we're going to do with the, the need is see the opportunity that comes with that to build up our leaders. Uh, we want to put the work of the ministry in the hands of the ministers, these, these ministers in training. And so when you come to Midtown Baptist Temple, uh, we're not a super sharp <laughs> ministry. Uh, nobody's going to look at MBT and say, wow, those guys are so sharp. They're so professional. Look at their staff. And uh, what, what an No, these are just people who put their pants on one leg at a time and, and uh, with weakness and fear and trembling uh, begin to handle and minister the word and the things of God into the lives of God's people. And, and what's awesome is in doing the work, uh, the ministers are trained, and, and they begin to mature, and, and uh, the cream rises to the top. And, you know, I, 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 with all my heart, I'm intending that over the next several years, we'll completely turn over the ministry and the leadership to the people that are going through discipleship and LFBI today. Uh, they will be running our ministry tomorrow, and it's an exciting thing to think about, to see your, the, the people that you've poured your heart, your life, and the word of God into theirs to see them actually take the ball and run with it. And uh, Lord, Lord, please bless us. <laughs> uh, surely they'll do a better job with it than we did, you know. 
Uh, it's, uh, it's an exciting thing. We want to resist, like we said, the, the, the temptation is to fall into the drift of our age and say, well, we've got needs, so we need to hire the best of the best. And, and again, if that's the call that a church has to make, I, you know, I'm not there, I'm not in those circumstances, I'm not dealing with that situation. But again, the drift that we want to fight against is, is having paid staff doing everything. We're always, we always want to be looking for ways to put the need and the work of the ministry into the hands. So we use the ministry to build our ministers. We don't use men to build our ministry. And yes, men build our ministry, right? But that's not the primary objective. It's to use the, the game of ministry to develop the players. We're looking at these marks and, you know, what does a disciple of Christ look like? And, and, and one of the things, you know, you could look at this as, at first glance and you could say, man, this is coming across really strong. This is coming across pretty harsh. Um, what about meeting people where they're at? And, and I guess I would just say a couple things about that. Whenever new people come into the church, uh, they're young. Let's say they're a babe in Christ or they're little children in Christ. Well, uh, little, little in the faith can't carry a lot, right? I mean, the call to every disciple is to take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see that here in just a second. Um, but... Little ones can't, can't carry as much as mature ones. Does that make sense? Yes, we want to meet people where they're at, but at the same time, we don't want to invite people to mediocrity, right? We want to make sure that everybody sees where the bar is set, and we want to set the bar, we want to set the expectation where God sets it. And what's amazing, this is one thing that I've learned. Um, I was college pastor for a lot of years, and then... Now it's been a lot of years in, in, in Midtown in Kansas City. Uh, people respond to a biblical call. Uh, if we set the bar of ministry, if we set the bar of discipleship, if we set the bar of consecration where God sets it, uh, God's people, right, true prospective disciples will respond to that. And they'll say, yeah, I want something that's worth laying my life down for. Nobody wants to be a part of something that's just medio mediocre, that's not going to have an impact, that's not going to matter. Not Forget the next generation. It's not going to matter next week. Nobody wants to be, hey, come on, let's just be a bunch of Laodiceans for Christ. Oh, yeah, I can get on fire for that. that no, that's depressing. We want to set the bar of ministry where it goes. We want to call people to lay down their lives because Jesus is worth it. The work is worth it. People are worth it. And it's amazing to me, whenever you, whenever you call people to what ministry really is, surprise, surprise, there are so many people that are willing to lay down their lives to be a part of that. And oh, by the way, pastors, people who lay down their lives to be a part of the ministry are laying everything else down too. Their time, their wallets, right? Their resources, their gifting, their ability, everything is for Christ's glory. And so we want to call people to that. Now, you know, yes, we want to meet people where they're at. When somebody comes in, uh, they just need to be grounded in the milk of the word. They just need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, they may not be ready, right, to even understand or comprehend the life, the crucified life that Christ is calling them to. And yet we want to start, we want to start pre-soaking them in that, don't we? Uh, Pastor Allen uh, taught me something 
so long ago, I don't even remember when it was, but it's just been a lifesaver for me. He says, you know, I can work with weak people. I can work with that. People who, and, and this is how we've been describing it uh, in these last couple days, you know, if people have their want to, their desires are set to a life for Christ, we can work with that. And if for every step forward, they end up taking two steps back, if they'll keep taking steps forward, we can work with those people. Uh, because I know what God's done in my life, <laughs> right? I want to have a heart enlarged with compassion for my little brother, my little sister in Christ. But he said, you know, I can't work with w wicked people. I can't do that. If you know what the word of God says, but you're going to refuse it because your circumstances, your will, uh, your objections and your mind trump what the word of the king said, I can't, what, can, what can we do? We can't work with that. And so that is the goal of the cost of discipleship material. We want to meet people where they're at, but, because you know, babes in Christ can only carry so much, but once they believe and once they see the call to follow Christ, once they're grounded in the basic of God's word, we need to call them to lay down their lives. And anything less than that is ripping them off. Anything less than calling people to give all of who they are for all of who God is, is ripping off God's people. And then you're a bad pastor. I don't know what else to say. Uh, you're going to half step with God's people and tell them it's okay to live Laodicea. And you're going to half step with God's people and tell them it's okay to know what the Bible says, but let's be reasonable. If we're not going to get serious about living it out in life, you're a terrible pastor. Uh, again, we want to set the bar where it is. We want to call people to all that God is calling them to. And yeah, it's going to take a minute to get there, right? We want to we help. We want to comfort the feeble-minded, right? We want to do all of this. We want to limp along with people to help them. But come on, that's the hill. And so help us, God, by his grace. We're going to take it in Jesus' name. Does this make sense? So that's kind of the, 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 the balance that we're talking about when we're implementing a call to laying our lives down as disciples in Christ. COD, cost of discipleship, is a launching pad for living the crucified life. Okay, so I think we're on mark number three. Right? I didn't get mark three. Is, is, something, is, everything, is everything cool? Okay. Oh, well, we kind of got to get through this material. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yell some more later on. Mark number three, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will follow him unconditionally. Uh, okay, so as leaders, we don't want to call our people to anything that we're not willing to do. Jesus didn't do that. He's calling us to lay down our lives. Guess what? He modeled it like no other. <laughs> uh, and so this is his point in verse 27, Luke 14. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay. Um, everybody knew what he was saying. The cross. You're going to carry your cross. That means your life is over. <laughs> and if you're not willing to come to the place where your life is over for Jesus, then you cannot be his disciple. We live in a day and age where the cross doesn't mean death. It means a good spiritual experience. Um, you know, you've heard people talk about just the, the sanitizing of the cross of Jesus Christ. No more is it an instrument of torture, an instrument of complete violation of self-will, self-rights, self-expectation. 
No longer is it the idea of complete yielding, giving up your life, your, your rights in the flesh. You know, a criminal, a criminal in this time considers the cross and they know they're dead. It's over, right? Their life is over. Death is the only conclusion to carrying a cross. But today, the cross of Jesus Christ, the crucified life, is equated with playing church, going and attending services, holding classes, right? Making sure that your church has all the, the amenities, right? We want to get serious about Jesus. That means we need a swimming pool. It's got to be Olympic. I mean, come on, we got to get serious. If we're going to serve the Lord well. You know, and again, if God moves you to put in an Olympic swimming pool because that's a tool to reach your community, I am not knocking that. I am coveting that. I would be jealous of that, but come on. That's not what we need. What we need are people laying their lives down in obedience to God's word, investing the love of Christ into the lives of the lost, investing the words of Christ into the lives of the saved. So it, it's just a very interesting thing. The idea of the cross means something different to the modern believer. It's just, it's just rounding out their spiritual experience. True disciples, point number one, are willing to carry their own cross. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be heartache. Satan's going to come at you, bro. <laughs> right? There's going to be difficulties. And until you've come to the place where you're saying, I don't care what happens, I don't care what the world, my flesh, or the devil does, says, manipulates, perpetrates. I am following the Lord Jesus Christ according to not what I think, how I feel, but according to what he says. Otherwise, you've got your price. Otherwise, you've got your limit. Satan will find out what it is, and he will take you out. Uh, so you've got all the cross-references there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, don't think it's strange when it happens, Right? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be, about, shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Uh, we ought to, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to me to read about the lives of the disciples. Here's Peter. Uh, just a short time ago, a little girl's like, you're in Jesus's posse. You're part of his crew, aren't you? Denies him three times. And Jesus is so good in John chapter 21. Peter, lovest thou me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah. Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know. You know everything. I think I love you. <laughs> Thought I Lord, you know I love you. As best I know how, I love you. Okay, what's the response? You don't get to do what you want to do. Your life is not yours. You're going to be led in places you never dreamt for yourself. Your life, as you know it, is over, bro. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, it's just not that long, right? There hasn't been much time has passed, and, man, they got the beat down. And they come back, and what are they doing? They're rejoicing. Why? Because they were counted worthy to enter into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Man, what joy to finally come to the place where you and Jesus can get face to face and Jesus can, Jesus can literally say to you, welcome to the club. Welcome to the fellowship. Now you know. Now you know what it's like. You know? So don't think it's strange. This is a wonderful thing. What an opportunity to say, this flies in the face of everything. 
that makes sense or even what I want in the flesh. But what a beautiful thing to be able to follow Christ according to his word, dying to self, living his word out of my life. Okay, so we should be on page 15. It must be understood that biblical discipleship emulates the life of Christ on earth, which emphasizes total consecration to God no matter the cost. Therefore, a disciple should expect to experience what Jesus experienced. That's why he said, John chapter 15, duh, if the world hated and persecuted me, guess what they're going to do to you? <laughs> Hang on to your hat, bro. It's coming, man. Taking up your cross is not comfortable, but nothing of value ever is, is it? If you're going to build a beautiful house to live in, you're not going to just wish that into existence. That's going to take some hard work, some blood, some sweat, and some tears to put, I mean, just to put together your dream home. You're going to win a race. You're going you're to win a race eating Snickers bars, ho-hos, and Twinkies, thinking about joining a gym. Come on, man. No, you're going to have to get down, get gritty, and do the work that produces the results that you claim you value, you know? Sorry, man. Pray for Trotter. So here it is, man. Taking up your cross is not comfortable, but when a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves him more than anyone or anything, including himself, well, then the rejection, the persecution from the world does not phase you. Yeah, you don't like it, but you're going to move forward in spite of it. Why? Your love for Christ is growing. As a disciple, you see the value of his word, and the things that yesterday would have been important to you no longer matter. Why? Because I love Jesus far more than my life in the flesh. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So true disciples are not deterred by the difficulties of persecution. Uh, you're going to follow him when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient. Why? Jesus is worth it. Okay, so there are the key questions we want to ask them. Are you willing to love him more than anything, including your own life? Are you willing to lay it down and follow Jesus? Mark number four, a disciple of Jesus Christ loves him more than any other possession. And thank God this is in the Bible because this is the big trip up for about half the people that don't follow through. God's a genius. Somehow he knew we would need this. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 says we got to reckon, we got to do some accounting up front if we're going to be a disciple of Christ. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it? Finish it. Otherwise, you're going to start the process, and you're not going to have the resources to finish up. You're going to enter a battle. You better count the cost. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to win the victory. So likewise, right, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So true disciples count the cross, uh, count, well, there it is, count the cost of taking up their cross and following after the Lord Jesus Christ before they begin the endeavor. Uh, somewhere just north of here, people pick up the Appalachian Trail, right? What's the percentage of the people that finish it? That'd be some good homework. I guarantee you it's not 100%. <laughs> I bet it's in single digits. That'd be my, that'd be my gut action. Somebody check me out on that and see if that's right. I bet it's single digits percentage-wise. Why? 
you didn't count the cost, man. I'm walking to, where is it, Maine? Where do they end up, where do they end up out there on the other side of that thing? Huh? Is it, yeah, I see it. It's, didn't do super great in geography, I guess. You're going to count the cost up front. It's like a, it's like a, look at a vacation. You're going to take your family to Hawaii. Really? Are you? Are you going to take it? You're just like, come home. We're going to Hawaii. Are you? Because that's a thing. Do you know what the hotels cost? Do you know what the airfare is? Do you know what a Coca-Cola costs in Hawaii? In other words, you better build a budget before you make that statement to your wife. Otherwise, you're in big trouble, brother. <laughs> you got to decide up front, what is the cost of the, of the trip? And am I willing to pay that? Because once you put a pencil to the fantasy, you may realize uh, that's too rich for my blood. Uh, we're going to, I guess in this neck of the woods, it would be what? Dolly World? <laughs> Six Flags? 20% make it. Okay, that's amazing. So that's, far, that's twice the number of people counting the cost than I thought for the Appalachian Trail. It's still not 100%, is it? Yeah, yeah. So 80-some percent didn't count. They failed. <laughs> so here's a great example, Mark chapter 1, of somebody counting the cost, seeing Jesus for who he is, leaving everything and following after the Lord in the work that he's called them to. So there it is, Simon and Andrew. Uh, straightway, right, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him, Mark 1, 16 through 20. So true disciples are willing to forsake, not some things, everything. Whatever he says, right? Whatever the Lord reveals, whatever the word of God says, man, it's, uh, I don't care if it costs me everything, I'm, it, I've already paid it in my heart, in my life, in my mind. That is already given to him. It's his to do with as he will. What happens is, is you know, and we understand this. You have the liberty to own things and to enjoy things. If God gives you nice things, man, be at peace. Enjoy those things. It's, there's nothing wrong with owning wonderful possessions. What's wrong is when those wonderful possessions own you. Uh, when they're running your life and you're not running and managing them for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're managing you for the glory of your flesh. Okay, that's where, that's where it gets off of the rails. And so 1 Timothy 6, we need to have godliness with contentment. We don't want to fall into the temptation of being rich. Right? We don't want to drown in foolish and hurtful lusts. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 Jesus said to take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Our life consists, right, if you think about it, it doesn't consist in the things that we possess. Our life consists in our, pos our possessor, right? Uh, in him we live and move and have our being. It's by him that all things consist. So our life isn't measured by the things that we can accumulate and enjoy. What happens is, though, is it's very interesting. If I've seen this once, I've seen it hundreds of times in going on now 30 years of ministry, which is a weird thing to think about that. Three decades now of, of just trying to learn and invest the word of God. Uh, you know, 
I've seen God's people really go uh, from a hard place, man. And I mean, except God moves, they don't know what they're going to do. Uh, there's no money, there's no resources, there's no help, there's just no way forward. And then we'll pray and we'll call on the Lord and we'll trust God for prompt. And so God, you know, he supplies all our need. And then here comes the blessing. And just that quick, we get our focus off the blesser and onto our blessings. And, the, the, you know, God gives good gifts. But instead of staying dependent on the giftor, now we're dependent on the gift. And our blessings make us stupid, you know. And what's weird is if you look at it in terms of the big picture, really what you got was a little blessing. But now you're like, uh, I don't know how many saw those uh, Daffy Duck cartoons. But I remember just stuck in my mind, Daffy Duck got shrunk down like this big and a clam opens up and there's a pearl in it. And the way the cartoon ends is Daff Daffy running to that pearl and he's wrapped around that, mine, 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 all mine, mine, mine. What's he got? Nothing. <laughs> he got nothing. Uh, but that's how God's people are. Get a little blessing from the Lord and it's like, okay, God, now I got this. Yeah. And they're no longer dependent on the gift or they're just in love with the gift. Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. What do you think about that business decision? What do you think he thinks about that business decision today? He had nothing. Those things that were gained to me, Paul says, those I counted lost for Christ. I count all things lost, he says. Right, to know him, <laughs> the fellowship of his suffering, that's everything. He says, I've learned, chapter 4, verse 11, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be, both how to be abased and I know how to abound in everywhere and all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Why? Because if I got Jesus, I got everything. So true disciples are willing to make Jesus their main priority. Um, we have to address this with prospective disciples. Point number three is a big wrap-up point. The disciples forsake their, they forsook their nets to follow Jesus, right? They left everything for this life of following Christ. Um, we've seen, and I know you've seen, careers get in the way of discipleship more times than you can count. And it is amazing how in the life of a baby Christian who now says that they want to be a disciple, their career explodes. Uh, it just keeps happening. And so we warn them in the cost of discipleship class, many of you are about to get a raise. Many of you are about to get a promotion, and you're going to be tempted to look at that thing and say, oh, man, now I'm rolling in some, in some tall cotton. That's because Satan's trying to turn you into a whore. Don't fall for it. <laughs> you can say no to a new position, a new work schedule. Um, if you have to, we've already seen it. Again, literally more times than we can count. We have prayed for new jobs. We have prayed for better work schedules. And guess what? In order to facilitate Hebrews chapter 10 the assembling of ourselves together, God gives people better jobs, better work schedules. It's amazing. You have not because you ask not. Okay, so just beware. Satan's going to try to treat you like some common two-bit hoe. Don't act like one. Don't play into that. Don't let him buy you out. So you got to decide. Uh, hop, I mean, what in the world has happened to church-going America where... 
one Sunday a month is called church, regular church attendance. Yeah, it's regular. It's regular. It's, it's regular horrible. I don't, I don't know what the word is for that. It's regular rebellion. I, I, gross. Well, you know, my kid's in this baseball league, and, and kids got potential. You're sending your kid to hell. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're going to make baseball an idol that is more important than the structure that God set up for his people? I, that blows my mind. Sorry, I, I know this is the South. Apparently, ba- baseball's a big deal in the Midwest, too. Just saying. I don't know when y'all won the World Series. Has that happened recently? But <laughs> a couple of years ago, Kansas City represented. I mean, it was really, really cool. But that doesn't mean I'm going to try to turn my kids into idolaters and sign them up for baseball camps that are going to pull them out of Sunday church. Or what? Whatever. It's just insane. People are stupid. I mean, that's just like, that's heartbreaking. Forsake not, right? Hebrews 10, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, because other people are doing it. God already told you, people will do this. Don't fall for that. Don't sign up for that. Don't schedule yourself with that. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, we live in a day and age where it looks like the headlines in our news are ripped out of the Bible, don't we? I mean, anybody that can't see what's shaping up is willfully spiritually blind. We are living in the last of the last days. And unless we're providentially hindered, uh, you're in the hospital for the flu. You broke some bones yesterday. Unless you're providentially hindered, you need to be here. Well, you don't understand. My schedule's really busy. I can't really afford the time right now. No, you can't afford not to be provoked unto love and to good works. Don't you see right there with that idea that maybe I don't have time for church today? You're already messed up in your ability to rightly spiritually reckon it has been this is not in your notes um, it's in the teaching notes but this is where we make a statement uh, or maybe it is it has been demonstrated time and time again that believers who attempt discipleship while frequently missing the gatherings of the church never truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ is that in your notes no okay so it can be if you guys want to this is a very strong statement um, we have seen it over and over again. If you can't make the time to be at church, weird. We don't have the ability to disciple you. And you can meet with your disciple all you want, but for whatever reason, there's some of these goals we can't get to stick. Committed to the structure of the local church, right? That Somehow that just can't get done. Those who are always gone, they're always missing our gatherings, never become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They never become true disciples. So what the home is to the family, the church is to the disciple. The local church is vital to the continued growth and health of the disciple. So if you cannot attend with us, guess what? We can't disciple you. If you refuse to attend with us, eventually we're going to come to the place where we've addressed it for the last time. We will refuse to continue discipling you. Does that make sense? Um, And again... We want to meet people where they're at. People have to go out of town on business from time to time. There are vacations, there's sickness, there's illness. Come on, we don't want to be 
this spiritual Gestapo, you know, informing on everyone. Uh, but you'll see the pattern, and if it's drifting toward away from accountability to your brothers and sisters in Christ in our corporate gatherings, well, then it's because um, you there's something in the world, your flesh, that is pulling you away from God's structure. So we say it this way. At Midtown Baptist Temple, we gather every Sunday morning starting at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. for our Sunday fellowships. That's our Sunday school. Our Sunday fellowships. And we have two worship services during those same times. We also gather every Tuesday night for corporate prayer. We have a family meal together uh, starting at 5.30 to facilitate people coming from work to get to our prayer meeting because it's that important. Uh, we have the, the work of the ministry, the needs of our members, it's so great. It's so far beyond our ability and our capacity, except God moves. We have no hope. We have to pray. Okay, so that's Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. These gatherings are critical to anyone following the Lord Jesus Christ at the Midtown Baptist Temple. Does that make sense? In other words, we're just putting it up front. You can't make time to be regular with us in our corporate gatherings, in our corporate worship. Uh, we're not going to be able to disciple you. Um, let's continue on. I need to be done here at 1030, right? Yeah, 1030. -ish. Okay, mark number five. Mark number five. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is useful to him. Uh, we don't live to get for ourselves what we want out of our life. We live to get what Jesus wants out of our life. So we're to be serving the king, not according to how we feel we should, but according to what he says. He has expectations. We're supposed to meet them. Verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then we'll explain to them why this is not a proof text for losing your salvation. Um, no, you know, it's men that are casting it out um, right there. You can't make it hell. Man cannot send someone to hell. Uh, but there is a principle there. Salt that loses its savor is flavorless. It's insipid. It's tasteless. And so it's useless. It doesn't have the ability to preserve. It doesn't have the ability, uh, the ability anymore to affect uh, its environment. Okay? So also, the believer of Jesus Christ that refuses to follow him. It's of no use to him. And so you've got the illustration of the fig tree uh, that the Bible uses to teach us of a believer that refuses to follow the Lord, that is useless for the kingdom. Uh, so he comes to the fig tree, Mark chapter 11, inspects it. There's leaves, should be, it's time to bear fruit. Looks like a healthy tree, but it's not acting like a healthy tree. It's useless to him. Uh, he says, no man shall eat the fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Boom. I mean, that, that was kind of a subtle threat. <laughs> I want you to notice what's going to happen to this tree. Why It is not useful to me. So true disciples of Jesus Christ live for Jesus' purposes. We live, like we heard last night, to do the work of the Lord. We live to serve God's people. We live to minister. We live to, to win souls, to make disciples, to train them, to equip them, and send them to do the same. Um, you've got the cross-references there. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is where most Christians like to camp out. We're saved by grace through faith. We love that gift. Man, thank God it's not of works. You know, 
today it's not even really as much of just bragging about being good enough to get into heaven. It's like, I'm just glad I didn't have to work for my salvation. I mean, we're just that lazy. Um, but praise the Lord, you know, it's not of works. We couldn't do it. We couldn't earn that. It's the gift of God. There's no, there will be no braggers in heaven. And then everybody stops right there. <laughs> but 10 always comes after 9. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we don't get saved because we're perpetrating good works. But when we get saved, the good works, right, were made that they would come out of us to do the good work that Jesus calls us to. True disciples, again, we hit this point several times. You'll notice throughout the cost of discipleship material. True disciples live in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we're never forgetting that what we're doing today, we will give an account for it tomorrow. Uh, life is a vapor. We're here one moment, we're gone the next. It is, I mean, it is appointed unto man once to die. We all know what comes after that. We will give an account. The believer was and is clearly saved for the master's use, which begs the question, if a believer is useless to the master, then what's the point of their existence? Why are we here? It's like Mark said last night, breathing God's air. We're in the skin that he, that he shucked us in, right? I mean, what, what, what are we here if not to be useful for him? So that sets us up then for Mark 6. We're to be useful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, um, I, I tell our people all the time, you know, I'm not interested in following you as a leader if you're not interested in laying your life down serving your brother and sister in Christ. Uh, if you're too good to work a broom, then you're too good to work one of the mics. You know, if you're too good to clean a toilet, well, then you're too good to lead ministry. So, uh, so there's that side of it. But then, you know, we're to be useful, but we're also to be fruitful. Mark 6 says a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will bear fruit for him. So now we're out of Luke chapter 14. We'll make a couple more points and then we'll wrap it up. There is a tendency for believers to attend church with no intention of actually being fruitful, right? I want to be a church attender. I want to have a form of godliness. But the last thing that I want is God actually leaking out of my life and impacting the lives of other people. So they'll attend and they'll sign up. They'll serve in the church, right? They will they'll clean those toilets. They'll work that broom. Uh, they'll do the humble work. They'll go to the shut-in's house, they'll bring groceries, they'll bring a meal, they'll show the love of God to the body of Christ. But that provocation unto good works, uh, the work of the Lord, it's like, well, that's when it gets a little too hot and a little bit too uncomfortable and a little bit out of my wheelhouse, and I don't know if I'm comfortable, you know, stepping out and presuming uh, to speak into the life of another person. No, God called us to be fruitful. Um, God desires that his followers would bear the fruit of the life of Christ that is in them. John 15, 8, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So true disciples will bear fruit by leading others to salvation in Christ. And how do we do that? Well, the disciple must be abiding in Christ. And you guys all know this. If we abide in him and he abides in us, Right? We will bear, we'll bear fruit. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same 
bringeth forth much fruit. Why? But without me you can do nothing. So disciples in Christ who are abiding in him, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we all know this, this is old hat for this crowd, to abide in Christ is to abide in his word. And to abide in Christ then is for his word to abide in you. Uh, it's not mental assent to words on a page. It's the living word of God now living in my life, right? Okay, so whatever is in you should be what's coming out of you. So here's this fruit tree that gets rebuked and never bears fruit again because it had everything in order to be useful for the Lord. Well, the same thing, you and I as branches run the risk of God swatting our tails if we refuse to abide in him. If we're in him and he is in us, then whatever is in our life should be coming out of our life. And so this is another principle. We talk about this all the time. You know, we live in a day, we live in an age where if you try to hold somebody accountable to what the word of God says, they will tell you, well, first of all, they'll tell you, who told you that? Your notes that, hey, um, can we talk about you uh, fornicating with your girlfriend? Who told you that? Okay, don't fall for that. I'll just give you a tip. Okay, I don't know if, you've probably already discovered this. I probably discovered it way too late. But when I was in college ministry, um, I learned a little bit about how fornication works. had this one couple, they, they're in my office, because we're going to deal with this, and it always starts with, who told you? And I realized, why does everybody do that? It doesn't matter who told me. The question is, is it happening? Right? I, it, forget that. It doesn't matter who told me. Is it happening? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're kind of we're hooking up. Okay. Uh, that has to stop now. And God is my witness. This guy looks at me. He's in the church. He's in my office. And he looks at me. He says, we can't stop. I don't know what we're going to do, Pastor. But we can't stop. We're not going to stop. And so I'm kind of I'm processing this. I'm doing the math on that. I'm like, I get that sex is awesome. I get that in the moment you're having a good time. But you don't get to call yourself a for, an unrepentant fornicator and a Christian in our church. It's just, that's not going to work. And so, you know, I, I tried something. Oh, no, you, everything is a choice. You can't stop. No, 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 you don't understand, Pastor. We can't stop. And I thought, okay, well, I guess we're there. So <laughs> I didn't have the peace to just, to just be done. But I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go for shock and awe. <laughs> so I just stood up. And I yelled as loud as I could, you can't stop, then get out. <laughs> Don't ever come back, you know, just like that. And they just <laughs> went down. And I said, did you hear me? I said, get out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they're like, now like visibly shaking. And I'm like, well, if you won't leave, I'm leaving. <laughs> and then I left. And people are coming out of the offices and they're like, what's going on? Is everything okay? What's going on? I was like, I'm just going to let them simmer for a minute let them marinate in that and see if give them just a little taste maybe I know it's a weak representation of the judgment seat of Christ but I, I just I want them to feel a little smoke you know and uh, I let them roast for about five ten minutes and then I come back in and I'm like 
why are you still here? And they're like, Pastor, we're going to stop. <laughs> we were just talking about it, but we don't know how. And I'm like, oh, this is real simple. You're going to break up today, or you're going to go down to the justice of the peace and get married today, right? You're going to, one way or another, you're going to count the cost on this relationship. By the way, you don't love each other. If you loved one another, you would absolutely be guarding one another's purity. So you're very self-focused. You're very self-indulgent. You're using one another. But if you get married at the justice of the peace, I'll hold you accountable to be married. We'll put you in marriage counseling. You know, whatever you're going to do. You're either going to break up or you're going to get married or you're going to stop fornicating. By the way, I have never heard of somebody that was in a relationship where fornication is taking place where they just stopped. Because, you know, once you start holding hands, you don't stop holding hands. And once you start kissing goodnight, well, you don't stop kissing goodnight. Once you start fogging the windows, you don't stop fogging the windows. You may stop for a couple weeks because you feel real bad about fogged up windows, but eventually uh, they're going to be steaming the car again. And then once you're fornicating, really? I mean, because we all know that God is a genius, and when he built out sex, it was like, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's like one of the greatest things in the world. I mean, it's amazing. People got in wars over that. I mean, it's just amazing what God has done. And you're just not going to do that because you got all this willpower all of a sudden? Come on. Break up, get married, or get out, you know. And, uh, man, they got accountable. Praise the Lord, you know. They broke up. It was awesome. It was awesome, you know, and uh, God got a hold of their life. It was, it was really great. Where was I? What was I talking about? Fornication. Yeah, bearing fruit. Yeah, we weren't talking about making babies. I got sidetracked. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what's in your life is what should come out of your life. If what's coming out of your life is fornication, I got to wonder where Jesus is at. If you're abiding in the vine, then what should be coming out of your life is fruit. So people will say... Uh, well, who told you? No, that doesn't matter. Is it true? Then the second thing it always is, is you can't judge me. Who do you think? The Bible says, thou shalt not judge. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you guys all know this. We are commanded to inspect fruit. And what I'm smelling are dingleberries. You kind of smell like a dingleberry tree. Do you know what dingleberries are? Yeah, okay. I know I'm in the right part of the country for that. <laughs> Smells like a dingleberry tree. And so... I don't, I can't judge what's going on in your heart, but I absolutely see what's dropping off your life, and I don't want to step in it. It's disgusting. Okay, so, you know, bottom line, if it smells like a poopy tree, it's a poopy tree. If you're abiding in Christ, then the aroma, the fruit, is going to be the life, the love, the word, and the work of Christ. There's no way around that. So at the end of the day, Christian... Will you be fruitful? Because that's who we want to invest in. We want to invest in those that are determined to bear fruit, to hear well done in that day. Mark number seven, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves Jesus' people, right? You will love what he loves. You will prioritize what he prioritizes. So one of the greatest expressions of Christ's likeness is to be selfless. In the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to love their neighbor as themselves. But in the New Testament, God says, let's double down on that. A new commandment, Christ said, was uh, his church was to love one another as he laid down his life loving them. And then, you know, he washes their feet to illustrate it. 
John chapter 13, verse 34, here's the commandment. To love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Can I just tell you? Ninety-eight, maybe 99% of the problems in churches evaporate, are dealt with when God's people just lay down their lives loving one another. Uh, they don't, I mean, they'll still talk about each other. It's fun digging on people. Uh, Joe and I were digging on Mark because his, uh, you didn't know this, I hope your ears were burning because it was a lot of fun for us, Pastor. What, what time did the slide show up for last night? 4.30. 5.30. So a little, just, just a little bit before service. And you know how in all these conferences we like to get the slides maybe the you know last week or something like that. And it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark was sweating it out right up until he got here. And, you know, it's, it, it's fun to give each other the business. But believers in Jesus Christ, they'll die for each other. Does that make sense? Like, uh, Mark Trotter is like one of the greatest treasures that I have in my life and in my heart. That's a big dude, but somehow he fits in here, <laughs> you know? Like, my heart has, like, leaped out of my chest cavity and has gobbled him up. He is a particular treasure for me. Does that make sense? Anybody have that testimony? You know what I'm talking about. The heart is an amazing organ. <laughs> it has the ability to swallow people and congregations and people groups whole. And when God's people will just love one another, well, then they'll do the hard work of working out the relationships. We're always going to get sideways with one another. There's no way around that, right? We're going to disagree. We're going to have uh, misunderstandings.